Welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. This is the HR Tech season. I'm joined today with uh, Tim Freestone from Aluba. How are you today, sir? I'm fantastic. Just got back from Melbourne on a very easy flight and uh, all is good in Australia at the moment, relatively speaking. Very good. Tell me, what's your favourite thing about Melbourne? Uh, not the weather, because that's shite, as everyone in Australia will know. Um, yeah. Sport, when it can run. Sport when it's not stopped by a pandemic, yeah. Mm. Um, favorite bar in Melbourne? Uh, I'm a coffee man. I try okay. to stay away from the booze these days. You know, you gotta gotta be productive. So I just try to smash out as much caffeine as possible in a day. And any coffee in Melbourne is usually pretty good. It is best breakfast place in the world. I uh, I was lucky enough to live there for about seven months. Just uh, yeah, loved it. lived 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 around the Brunswick area. And, uh, oh, nice. Right. Very fond memories, you know. I was definitely the most uncool person in the area, but you know, <laughs> it has got a hipster vibe, doesn't it, Brunswick? Yeah, does. Yeah, I felt like the ultimate farmer. Uh, we ended up picking <laughs> beans on a farm actually after it. So that's uh, that's it. But um, that's enough about me. Um, so Tim, tell us, tech for good. What does it mean for you? To you, what does that theme mean to you? I think it means, um, you know. I think almost implicit in that title is almost a sense from some people that tech could be for bad or that tech is for bad, actually. Think about the huge technology companies, you know, an Amazon, a Facebook, a Google, tracking everyone's data and knowing everything about them. And, you know, businesses like Apple being bigger than the economies of so many countries. People get really worried about tech. People get really worried about AI and machine learning. You listen even to Elon Musk about his kind of doomsday predictions over the future of AI and how the robot's going to take over. I think uh, HR for good is almost like an antidote to that. So, you know, can we just be sensible and think about how can technology, be it AI or otherwise, uh, help us be better people? Tell me, the data question, do you think it's a fair trade-off to give your data for using amazing products like Facebook and LinkedIn and all the rest? Yep, I do it every day. I accept that trade-off. I think as long as people enter into that knowing what's going to happen, I think that's reasonable, um, be it um, to be served up targeted ads or just actually get value out of it. So if I think about our products, our product would be useless if users didn't give us their data because we wouldn't know how to optimize or personalize anything. So yeah, I think it's a fair trade-off. For entrepreneurs, it definitely is. Um, and I, I accept it every day. Some people don't. What do you think about that? Uh, well, there were Luddites who used to go around breaking machines during the industrial revolution and eventually they got tired and got on with it and got a bloody job. So same for those people now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Tell me a little bit about what your product does. Okay. So Aluba is effectively a skills assessment platform focused on data analytics, data science, and data literacy. Um, and there's two main use cases of our product. One is in hiring. One is in um, uh, learning and development. So for hiring, typically companies use our product right at the start of the hiring process as a direct replacement for manual CV screening. Um, and for internal assessments, businesses are now using it to understand, you know, what are the relative strengths and weaknesses of different teams in their company? How do they compare to other businesses? Where are the skills gaps they need to fill in with learning and development plans? It's really about quantifying people's skills. All right. Well, we're going to get our boxing gloves on, go into, uh, go into that in a little bit. Um, Let's do it. But uh, you're, you're a relatively new business, eh? Talk to me about the, uh, the journey to getting the funding. 
journey to get in the funding. Yeah, okay, well, I guess that goes back to my last role. So I was working for an online travel business here in Australia um, who are pretty established. Um, imagine a similar business to like a Kayak or a TripAdvisor, so, uh, you know, a price comparison website for hotels. Um, and so I was managing analytics there. Part of my role was to do the hiring of um, data analysts, data engineers, those kind of roles. Um, this company was pretty small, about 150 people, didn't have any HR at all. So anytime you had to hire, it was kind of every man, woman, and child for themselves in terms of writing job ads, sifting through hundreds of CVs, doing phone screening, interviews, assessments. So out of that, I felt the full pain point of the problems we're trying to solve. Um, and actually my bosses at the time and the founders of that company went on to become my investors. So I was lucky enough that they got an exit about two years ago. So they were cashed up. They'd sold their business to booking.com and their local angel investors in Sydney. And we kind of worked together for four years. So it was a rare opportunity where we both had mutual trust already. They'd seen how I worked. They knew that hopefully I was going to put their money to good use. And I also trusted them as investors as well. Did they trust you to move into your mom's when the money hit your bank account? <laughs> I think they would have been happy with that level of frugality, actually. I managed to not pay myself a salary for an extra six months. So that, that, was, that was a good little saver. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I just, just read that. Um, all right. So te HR tech for good. Uh, we're going to jump into it. Um, let's talk about the, the first bit. So replacing resumes. What, is it time we got rid of resumes? Do they serve it? Like, do we need them in this day and age? I think they serve some value. The problem is where they're used and how they're used, I think. So the idea of someone being able to summarize and encapsulate them in, you know, on a piece of paper, one or two pages, and talk about some experiences, some skills, what they've done, et cetera, paint a picture. I think that makes sense. So let's call it like a candidate story. I think there's some value in that. It's just where it's typically used for most large companies, um, certainly that I deal with, the very first stage of any hiring process after they've gotten applications in is basically someone reading a CV. That's where it all falls down for me. Um, if they were used further on in the process, I think there's some value to be gained, but right at the top of the funnel is a myriad of issues with using them there. What are they? What are the big issues? So first is scalability. So. Um, we have a customer at the moment, for example, is hiring a data scientist. They got 900 applications. So requiring a human to manually sift through 900 CVs seems like a pretty crazy way to do it to me. Um, because of that lack of scale and that lack of automation, the process can get bogged down. So, you know, imagine someone applies for a role at 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. That CV isn't being read until probably Monday afternoon at the earliest. And that's just dead time, time when the candidate could be maybe looking for other roles with other companies whereas you could have been moving them through your process. So speed and then the cost of all the manual screens is, you know, is a huge factor. The third biggest one we've found through experimentation is, is accuracy. So no matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're, you know, the best recruiter in the world, the number one hiring manager, the data quality of a CV is very low. So predicting someone's eventual skills from a CV is just really, really hard mm. um, to give you a quick, um, quick comparison. So we used to do manual CV screening when we were hiring software engineers, okay? Um, because our product and our platform is mainly focused for analytics. So it didn't quite fit the skills we were trying to assess. So we used to do manual CV screening. Our CTO used to start the process looking at the CV. So for him, like he has had a 10 year career in software engineering. 
if anyone kind of knows what to look for, it's probably him. Like he's probably in a better position than the typical HR or talent acquisition person. For him, when we were using CV screening initially, the second stage after that had a 15% pass rate. So in other words, about you know eight and a half people who he said looked good on CV on paper ended up not passing the next stage. Once we'd replaced CV screening with even a 20 minute quiz from our platform, that rate went up to 55%. It's nearly half of the people who, who looked good based on the test ended up being good. So we found a dramatic increase in accuracy. The fourth is bias. Um, if you think about a CV, there's so much noise on a CV that is fundamentally irrelevant to the question, is this the best person for the job? You know, you can get their gender from their first name with some accuracy, their ethnicity from their surname, uh, their age based on when they went to school or university, um, hobbies and things like this. Like none of this shit matters. I, I don't care about any of this stuff. What I care about is, is this the best person for the job? So having all that information front and center of the start of the recruitment process is obviously going to create some issues, be it with conscious bias, which we just used to call discrimination, or unconscious <laughs> bias. Um, so I've been a headhunter in Australia. Um, let me tell you, there's a ton of bias there. <laughs> the, uh, Absolutely. I, I never thought I'd hear something so often as they don't have Australian experience. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. It's quite subtle, isn't it, the way they word it, you know? You don't have Australian experience. And and then you're like, okay. So automatically they pay that person 20% less. So yeah. they might go for it if it's like, it makes sense. But if it's somebody who looks like them, who has the same experience, who comes from one of the big local players, they're getting the job. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have no yeah. data for this. I found this like working jobs, like for three years, just this, this, that was the outcome every time. So yeah. as a result, the, the agency side, they have to do percentage of win. So they're not there to change the world. They're not there to change the bias. Yeah. They, they, have to, they have to survive. Yes. You know? so, yes. So, yes. And yeah, I think... Problem just escalates, right? Absolutely. And the, the bias thing is really interesting because, <clears throat> you know, as I said, almost flippantly, we used to call conscious bias discrimination. Yeah. Like we keep now talking about unconscious bias, almost pretending like we live in a world where actually everyone's perfect and it's just their unconscious biases, which are the bad bits, but you know, they're generally good people. That's bullshit. <clears throat> Fundamentally, like you think there's no one who's sexist or racist or would look at a surname they can't pronounce and go, oh, next one, just give me something that I can say. Definitely. There definitely, definitely is. Um, and what's interesting is like from a founder's perspective as a company owners, I have like almost like pure intentions when I hire someone. I just want the best person who's going to make my company as valuable as possible. I don't give a shit who you are or where you're from. So actually, if I can remove my own biases, whether they're deliberate or unconscious or whatever, then it's to my advantage because it's those biases which are clouding my judgment in finding the best person. So if I can explicitly remove them somehow and focus on the person's skills, how much value they can add, I think I'm onto a win, certainly as a company owner. So you're... You're balancing skills and ability versus likability and like in, in most cases. Likeability, it's an interesting word. Um, I think, yeah, you got to have people you can get along with, but it doesn't mean they have to be the same as you. So I'd say it's some kind of nice combination of their skills. So what skills and knowledge do they have right now to do the job? Yeah. Um, and then the kind of softer side of things. So what are their motivations? 
how do they learn and they upskill quickly how do they deal with like ambiguity like whatever that set of kind of company values or whatever is finding a way ideally to measure those if possible um whether it's in an interview or some kind of other type of assessment um likability is an interesting one because straight away i think of the phrase cultural fit which i hate <clears throat> and i can think of numerous times earlier in my career you know being told oh not the right cultural fit we can't hire you but what does that mean you Means, can see how that yeah that, you can see how it could be completely abused that term right you can just it's like the oh well we have no rational reason we don't like them so cultural fit you know it's a bit of a cop-out in my view <clears throat> one of our businesses is a wrecked wreck and uh they'll just straight up tell you if they're over 30 we're we're less likely to hire like they want wow. somebody in the first five years isn't that interesting yeah that's as extreme as <laughs> as as you could imagine and i mean i would have thought illegal as well <laughs> yeah well they're not saying <laughs> it in writing they're they're no. intimating it like you know okay so yeah, the average age of the office is pretty uh, 28 mostly you know yeah yeah and there's a, there's a lot of reasons to that usually like if you have a family you're a bit older you're going to be more expensive you might uh you might you know not follow their system as as aggressively so it's there is a bit of a, a commercial element to that rather than like just the face fitting but uh there's definitely loads of bias out there when it comes to it comes to hiring well yeah what do you see as the future of the agency world because essentially you know you you're you're trying to create something that that mitigates how much they're going to do right yeah so <clears throat> interesting question our focus so far is really on that top of the funnel volume question of like okay you got 500 applications who are the 10 you should interview and that's from the perspective of a company from a recruiter doesn't matter who it is mm. on recruitment agencies generally i have to say from a combination of my own experience as a candidate as a hiring manager and then from a significant amount of research i've done with hiring managers the general reception is pretty poor um, I'd say there are more low quality recruitment agencies than high quality ones. I feel like particularly in an area like analytics, which has exploded in the last five or 10 years, suddenly every man and his dog is saying, oh, you know, I can find you the best data scientist, the best data engineer. You could ask them one question and you'd realize they're just talking smack. Um, they don't know the first thing about analytics or data science. And it seems quite common in other technical fields as well. So. From my perspective, I'd, I'd say it like this. To me, I find it very hard to believe in 20 years, we wouldn't look back now and think it was, wasn't strange that someone who has absolutely no experience in a field would be a recruiter for that field. To me, that idea is very, very odd. Like if I try to think about that, that's like me going and trying to hire a litigation attorney or a financial accountant or a civil engineer. What the hell do I know? Yeah, I, I've been through the training program properly on this though so i'm definitely sitting the other side of the fence so when i started right. with Robert walters 10 years ago pretty blank slate in terms of my knowledge and it, i was thrown into it <clears> recruitment <throat> but part of that training was we did an hour every morning dissecting each each candidate that was presented six people presenting a candidate why are they good why are they a fit why are what do they do and you had to you had to do this every day you do that for 18 months and you're micro niche into one area you'd need to yep. be thick not to not to understand exactly what it is 
Now, you're not going to be able to write the code, but you're going to understand what, what the difference is between design, implement, and run. And like, I, I don't know, I, like I got to a decent level of understanding yeah. of where that fit and then where that fit between the whole ecosystem. But just because we were drilled every day, like for, for years. So, but I doubt many people are doing that. No, no. You think people are just rocking up and going, call that and see what you can do. I can see there's a niche of people who have done the hard yards, who are like intricately involved in the community, have a lot more touch points and must have a better, what I call a superficial understanding of the process. At the end of the day, not a single one of them has ever worked a day in analytics in any capacity. But they don't need in, to. In, in, well, why not? <clears throat> why should they? Like, if they could identify, like, so if you're saying there's testing criteria out there, nobody needs to have ever done that because you could just straight away say, okay, here's well, here's my opinion. Let's put it to the test. Okay, top of the funnel, bang, 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 you do it. Now we have tests that prove it. So, you know. It's redundant to have the, to have worked in the space. Oh, with the ability to test people's skills, you mean automatic? Yeah. Yes, that hasn't existed until very recently, though. And yet, <laughs> they've still been at it for a while. You know? um, the, the other lens I like to have on this is, um, just to draw a very different analogy, is like, think of other processes in other verticals. So imagine trying to book a hotel now versus 15 years ago, get a taxi now versus 10 years ago, rent out a room in your house, house now versus 10 years ago. Think of how unbelievably painful they used to be, time-consuming, costly, whatever, yeah. and think how beautifully smooth and nice they are now. Yeah. I kind of think hiring is the same thing. It's just matching the right person with the right role at the right but time. It, yeah, but the agency world isn't because you've just described marketplaces where not both sides can say no. So what you're not accounting for is the influence in the middle. That recruiter who's built a relationship with that data scientist over two years, who they know has their, like, has their ear to the ground on who's moving at what point and starts moving the market themselves. And that's what happens in, in niche marketplaces. That sounds, to me, that just sounds very, very unscalable. And from, like, if I was thinking of, you know, a business perspective, yeah. if my business relied on establishing individual relationships with people who are going to move maybe once every four or five years, <clears throat> maybe once every two, if you're lucky, like, that's, that's a pretty high cost point for me to stay in touch with those good candidates. Um, very, yeah, very it unscalable. Down, that comes down to numbers. So... If you're talking to 20 candidates a day and you're spending a bit of time on each of them over a period of time, that number multiplies. You could have 2000 within your niche that you understand that you have. The, then you have different alerts and all the rest of, of when they tell you they're going to follow, they're, they're, they're going to look and when their contract ends. And there's lots of technology that, that helps you with that. So it is scalable from a one, one to 2000 ratio. No, it's when when it goes bigger than that, it just becomes spammy. 
that's there. I mean, I'd argue it's spammy already. I mean, if I think of the last week, um, some more established recruiters who I'd met once nine years ago, yeah. uh, still emailing me either to offer me a job as a financial analyst, which I haven't done for 10 years. I can't remember how to create a PL anymore. <laughs> yeah. And are also offering me uh, a $500 referral bonus if I pick out the best person I know for a commercial manager role. Fuck do I know about that? Like, <laughs> what, why are you sending me the shit? Okay. Yeah. Doesn't that, isn't that indicative that maybe the model doesn't work? The other one would be the other kind of macro signal I like to think about is the cost. So I know that the median recruiter isn't driving around Sydney in a Ferrari, right? Like I'm sure they earn decent money, but you know, it's probably a reasonably low base and high comms if they're good, but they're not living in double Bay next to Malcolm Turnbull. Um, so if the cost is, let's say to place a typical senior data scientist in a role in Sydney, what 30 or $40,000, something like that. Like it's a very, very large amount of money. If they're not making all of that as profit, then there must be a high cost. Because a high cost is quite inefficient in some sense. Well, again, that, that comes down to the business and what it's been built for. So if it's been built to sell, then you know, ideally you'll want to have them on contract. So you have a continual margin and reoccurring revenue. And, you know, you're, as you know, from having a subscription-based business, then you're, you're at a, a much larger multiple than you would be if you're just yeah. doing one-off transactions. So I suppose that's, that's the first thing. But the, the second thing is the, the costs are really high. Um, you're right. Especially in Australia, salaries in Australia for recruiters are double what they are in the UK. Well, wow. how crazy is that? You should come back. <laughs> you know, like I, I prefer at this stage running businesses and doing different things. I to to be that person who's in the detail in one subject every day. Those people amaze me that they're able to do it forever. It it blows yep. my mind. I, uh, I yeah, I I would struggle with it now. You know. So you got bigger fish to fry. <clears throat> bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I'm talking to you, mate. This is uh, <laughs> so. Talk to me about uh, talk to me about where you see the future of hiring going. Do you yeah. see technology replacing all of talent acquisition as well as agency? Like what what is the future? What does that future future funnel look like? And maybe like talk about like the enterprise and then what it means for smaller companies. Yeah. Okay. So basically I see recruitment going the way as, as, as almost every industry has in the last 20 years. I think it's going to be eaten up by a combination of software, which was, you know, a uh, revolution 20 years ago and now data science and analytics just come about in the last, you know, five or 10 years, particularly. Um, having said that, I feel like recruitment and figuring out who the best person is for a job is a hard enough problem that a human is always going to be involved or at least for the next 20 or 30 years. It's just, I think they're going to be involved more selectively. So maybe it's that kind of final convincing moment. Maybe it's that, yeah, the, the sales process and managing the kind of relationship with the customer, but it's going to be, I think, heavily, heavily buttressed by mm. software to automate nitty gritty, annoying things and analytics to make better decisions based on actual data rather than just intuition and gut feel all the time. But uh, this should still be, you know, a person involved. So 
that's the way we're trying to set up our kind of future, which is the combination of software to automate things, analytics to measure things properly, and then a human to kind of create this nice final human touch to it. But I would think there's 0% chance in 10 years time that we'll still be doing recruitment the way it is done now. Yeah. You know, someone reading hundreds of CVs and emailing around CVs to people around town with confidential data on them like that is shit. There's yeah. no way it's going to last. It's unscalable. It's expensive. It's unfair. It's so many bad things that there's no way it'll still happen like this in 10 years. <clears throat> What's the biggest challenge for you to take your company to, because uh, you, you've got a, a seed round, is it? Is that right? Uh, yeah, we just got a seed plus in the last kind of few weeks. So basically an equivalent amount of the seed round about a year ago. Um, yeah. What's the next challenge to go to the next level? Mm. Yeah. So I think it's just about finding the right lead and sales generation strategies. So we need to cycle through a whole bunch of different options and find ones that work for us. Um, the products come a long way. It's still imperfect, but um, if I was a company, I was comparing, let's say, our product to manual CV screening. I think it's at a point where it's a no-brainer. We're better in so many different metrics that at least that solves a problem. It certainly doesn't solve the entire hiring problem. I think that's a much bigger issue that we'd like to progressively tackle. Um, and our general idea is to try to try things ourselves for either our own hiring purposes or hiring for our clients, see what kind of works, what doesn't work, and progressively add that into the products so then it would be available for our customers. Um, but the goal really right now is to basically go from a pure startup to a scale up. And for that, we need to find the right, the right customers in the right way to acquire. So that's a, it's a say it's all a sales issue at the moment. You like, if you got their sales, you're ready to go. Like it's everything else is scale. I think for our core product at the moment. Yes. So I, it solves a problem. And I think it's a big enough problem that enough companies are going to be willing to pay for it from what we can see so far. So I think I want to scale that screening customized screening quiz platform as we go and move on to up and down the other parts of the funnel and start to try to solve problems there until we progressively have like the, the full the full funnel covered and what's the threat to this working and you becoming a billionaire and sailing off into the sunset uh, <laughs> i'd say um the threat doesn't in my opinion come from traditional recruitment agencies and the way they're doing things because i think Generally, they don't agree with the way we do it. So um, they're going to continue doing things their own way. Um, so I don't think they're going to be the biggest threat. I'd say there's a few other interesting, what are called matching platform technology companies around the world. So one in Australia that I can think of, which I go, yeah, the way they're doing it, that could really work and scale very well. Um, the other aspect might be, you know, maybe a LinkedIn, if they kind of integrate something that's better than our product into their workflow and somehow take care of all of that as part of their process for free that would be an interesting um, risk as well but i try to focus internally rather than externally let's yeah. say we're largely in control of everything and whatever happens happens Do you, and, and you believe that uh agencies uh, don't believe in the testing area no so i would say that the median based on my experience so mm -hmm. Of all the conversations I've had in two years, we basically talked to three groups of people, hiring managers and analytics, yeah. talent acquisition within large companies, and then external recruiters and analytics. So it's very interesting to see their different perceptions of the problem in the space. Hmm. I would say the typical reception we get from agencies is, oh, that sounds interesting. But then once push comes to shove, they're like, oh, no, I know how to do this. I'm the best judge of uh, someone. I can screen someone. If I think about literally the last outreach message from Monday, it was like, oh, 
I'm pretty good at screening things. I, I know how to do it. We've uh, we've integrated it into our process at the moment. Um, not for the first screen, for um, for the long list. So once once the candidates are chosen and like we've had a look at them because usually you have to go and headhunt them. So there is yep. a bit of there's a bit of analysis done and all before that. But then once that's done, there's a conversation. Then the testing procedure comes in and um, we're using a tool that that helps do it in an unbiased way. So I'm just trying trying to I can see it going this way. You know, it's uh the, the bit the bit it can't work out is how it goes that way before the recruiter sees it to get the candidate engaged that's the that yeah uh, so it's interesting because i can think of a few customers we've spoken to so this is now our companies who were a little bit surprised when we said oh you should use this at the top of the funnel like yeah, it's literally right. the very first step and if, if you said oh they would use phrases like oh you need to warm the candidate up a bit you want to have a bit of a chat to them first before you ask them to do some work which I totally get. Um, however, uh, what we found is that most candidates are willing to do it. Um, and the benefits certainly outweigh the cost in terms of the downside of a slightly lower attempt rate. So the benefits in terms of scalability, in terms of getting rid of that cost, that wasted time, the unbiasedness of it. I understand um, all that. The, the bit I get, the bit I, I think we're, like if let's say if it's a, we're in an oil and gas boom and Chevron's your customer, 100%, they're all doing that test. Let's yeah. say you're one of the subcontractors uh, to Chevron. I don't know if they're doing that test. That's, that, you know, that because there's 17 other subcontractors that they could go to. So yeah, I think, I think that comes down to employer branding, but, we won't know until we see all the data, right? <laughs> exactly. I could see how there's yeah going to be certain niches where there would be pushback if there's a really tiny number of candidates available for the role, yeah. um, which would happen either in yeah, some kind of niche industry where it's like, okay, I need someone with medical devices experience and a data scientist. All right, there's like six, so fine. Or if it's like, okay, this is head of analytics for a company, we need someone with technology experience. Okay, there's five. So okay, you don't want to put up a huge barrier initially, but for the sort of meat and bread, meat and butter, whatever the phrase is, roles, you know, yeah. um, of which there are hundreds um, and there's a scale problem and there's been like a thousand fold increase in the number of data scientists coming out of, you know, universities and online programs in the last few years and there's so much noise. I think for those kind of roles, it, it seems to work well. All right, a couple of final questions. Um, who... Who inspires you in the HR tech world or even in the tech world? If you can't think of anybody within your micro niche. Yeah, HR tech. Um, oh, HR tech. Yeah, okay. So I'd mentioned Hatch. Hatch are a business based in Sydney. They're also a startup bordering on scale up. So they um, also would describe themselves now as a matching service. And I'd say we're aligned on quite a few things. They've been one of our users actually. So we've kind of worked together in the past. Um, but their approach is very much um, trying to quantify people's skills, quantify their values, quantify their personalities, quantify everything, and really try to measure things in as logical and rational a way as possible. And their heart is in the right place as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they're going about going about things in a very interesting way. Um, the only other company that springs to mind in tech would be 
Well, it'd be hard not to mention Canva. Um, also, another Sydney company has gone, you know, Are they uh, very, there? very global. Yeah, they're just a yeah. few clicks away from me. Um, so the two founders of that are now on the, the rich list. They've done very well for themselves and Great their product. product's beautiful. Yeah, yeah amazing. So from a product perspective, that's inspiring. Like it's just yeah. beautiful and amazing experience. And ours is a long way off that. So that's what we should aspire to. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> All right, Tim, thank you so much for coming on. Um, hopefully we'll get you back on in season two when you pull up in your Ferrari and we, uh, <laughs> we, we, we talk about the, yeah. next, the next stage of your evolution. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Maybe not Ferrari, but um, a Daihatsu maybe if it's in the next year. You know, you've got to be pregnant. All right. And just before you go, where can people find you? Uh, you can find us at www.aluba.com. You're wondering about the history of that name. Alu means potato in Hindi. I'm, a, I'm an absolute potato fiend. I ate them every day growing up. Good old Scottish, uh, Irish roots. And the bar is a random ending to create a nice sounding word. So aluba.com or follow us on LinkedIn as well. All right. Thanks.